Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is author Rosemary Keevil, and we're going to talk about her new book, The Art of Losing It, a memoir, and it's a gripping and heart-rendering journey talking about grief and addiction. Welcome to the show, Rosemary. Thank you. Uh, tell me a little bit, before we get into the book, your, your backstory as far as a writer. Did you always love to write? Is this your first book? This is my first book, but I've been writing uh, for a living for a long time. I cut my teeth as a TV news reporter uh, in Toronto, and uh, I, did, I was working for a local station, but we did a lot of national stories. And since then, I've had a number of jobs in the media, including um, a, my own radio show. When it, was, it was called The Rosemary Keeble Show, and it was morning drive time in Vancouver, and uh, it was a current affairs live radio show with some call-in. And I was also a um, managing editor of a, a women's professional women's magazine. So I've had, um, for years I've been writing, but it's all been nonfiction, it's all been uh, journalism. Yes. So it was a new uh, foray to actually be writing the book and to be writing about something from a personal point of view. I wasn't used to talking about my emotions yeah so you know when I when I heard about this book and I thought about how a lot of my guests and it's all, my show started out of grief I lost a friend of mine the end of 2010 and then I took a year off and I came up with the idea of get the funk out because I was in my own funk but then really it was a platform for people to share stories so when I heard about your book I thought what a story what what a journey you had to go through could you walk us through what exactly happened? Well, uh, I was um, living quite a, a blessed life uh, with uh, a doting husband and two little girls. They were two and four and an interesting career. And then um, my brother was diagnosed with AIDS and um, he was living in Vancouver and so was I, and our family was actually back east. So I was really his contact with the, with the healthy world. Mm. And my husband got diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer about two weeks after my brother was diagnosed. Mm. And my husband was given uh, six weeks without chemotherapy and four weeks Oh, no, and one year with chemotherapy and wow. AIDS. Yeah, excuse and me, was there any sign that your husband felt sick? Something was off? The only sign was a sore knee. And wow. we, thought it, we thought it was maybe um, from a hockey injury. Mm -hmm. But we were actually, the first time he had a sore knee was uh, February, February, no, January 8th, I think it was in 1991. And we went to see a Paul Simon concert and we went early and we got the um, scalpers tickets. So we were quite early for the show. Mm -hmm. So we didn't know what to do to wait. So we went for a walk nearby to have dinner, but it was had just snowed recently. So it was all, the streets were all icy and the sidewalk was all uh, undulating. So, uh, and he said, he complained his knee was sore. And then a couple of days later, his knee was sore when we were building snowmen outside with the girls. And uh, 
So we eventually, he eventually got a couple of little lumps. So this was just two or three weeks before his diagnosis. Uh, and he didn't feel badly. He just had these symptoms. Were the lumps like lipomas? Uh, no, they, no, they were just little lumps on his leg or on his rib. Just, oh. just uh, something that, that could actually be biopsied. Okay. So they were able to figure it out. And, uh, but it was a brutal diagnosis. So, um, and the kids were little and I was running around from hospital to hospital, from crisis to crisis. Mm. And one doctor said I was in um, basically crisis management mode, which I was. You were. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and then my husband lasted until September of that year. My brother lasted another six months after that. Mm. Oh my gosh. And then what happened with you? Who was looking after you? Oh, well, <laughs> when you're going through that, you're actually, you're in survival mode. You're not, uh, not a lot you can do to look after yourself. And I hung it together for about six years as much as having it together can be under the circumstances. But then I sunk into an abyss of drugs and alcohol and um, I was a high functioning alcohol and al alcoholic and alcoholic. Um, addict in that I was around and I was able to pick the girls up from school and still have a career um, but I wasn't always that present emotionally and I, I did very scary things and so that lasted six years and I was able to get into rehab after that. Um, I had uh, driven the kids, I had driven them a number of times uh, drunk and high but at this time I had blocked out I oh. did not have an accident. I did not have an accident. You did not have an accident. No. This was a blessing, obviously. And this was ended up being a gift of desperation. Uh, I just thought if I could be this bad, I went to see a friend's spiritual counselor. And um, I told her what I had done. And I said, do you think I need a spiritual retreat? And she said, Rosemary, what about rehab? <laughs> we'll just call it that. <laughs> There's an idea. <laughs> it's not funny at all. No. But, but it was in hindsight, it was like, what was I thinking? Right? right. Uh, I did a lot of, I, I um, crossed a lot of uh, lines in the sand, mm -hmm. a lot of them. And in hindsight, of course, I go, well, what I was, I was thinking the other day, I was having uh, lunch at a restaurant with a, my 31 year old daughter. And she said that I used to spank them. I said, I didn't spank you. I don't believe in spanking. You don't believe in spanking? Well, you, do you believe in driving your kids drunk and, and high when you, <laughs> do you believe in driving your friends? Do you believe in driving your friends, your kids' friends drunk and high? Do you believe in screaming out at my best friend's bar mitzvah? Bar mitzvah? And I'm kind of going, point well taken. Yeah. I don't believe in a lot of things, which I did. Yeah. So how is your relationship now? Is it better? Uh, with the girls? Yes. Yes, actually, I, interesting. I was reading, I reread the book um, recently when, it, when the final copy came out. And I was, quite <laughs> I was disappointed in the ending. 
Really? I didn't like my ending. <laughs> You'll have to do another one. <laughs> rewrite this book uh, because it, it doesn't actually, I didn't want to tie it up in a bow because it wasn't tied up in a bow at the end of 2003 when the book ends. Yeah. But there was hope. And in the epilogue, I could have said today, I'm very close with both my daughters and they're both thriving. They're both in um, fulfilling marriages and fulfilling careers. Wonderful. And by some miracle, I mean, I must have done something right. I got sober when they were clean and sober when they were 13 and 15. So just do the math for six years before that. Yeah. I was uh, in my, uh, in my illness and, um, so I, it's hard to believe actually that they're doing well. And I'm very, very close to both of them. That's wonderful. Yeah. How long did you think about writing this book? Oh, well, um, I think I just for a few years after it occurred to me, I should write about it. So probably for a few years, I thought about it um, because I'm, I'm a writer, that's what I do. And I write nonfiction, that's what I do. Sure. So um, probably just for a few years, but I think always, I always knew, excuse me, in the back of my mind um, that I would be writing about it. Was it, was it for you to um, leave, leave this as something for your girls, but also for others that needed it? Well, uh, it wasn't so much for the girls, but for others who who might be going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. It would be, and um, today I still write about addiction, hoping to be uh, a resource. Well, and he here we are in a pandemic and we have a mental health pandemic, as you mm -hmm. know, which is huge. So I would think your book is very timely. Well, I hope so. Yeah. What else would you like people to know about it? Uh, well, um, that one can get better, that um, I'd like people to understand, both with grief and with addiction, that the only way past it is through it. Yes. So with grief, one has to realize that grief is exhausting grief takes time, grief, grief takes rest and sleep. There's a huge hole in your soul with time. The edges will soften, the hole will never go away, but the edges will soften. But one needs to go into the grief and acknowledge it as opposed to running away from it and pretending it's not there. Yes. Um, and with the addiction part of that, it's important to go into the reasons why one was numbing, but the only way past through that is past that is through that. So one needs to go into the wreckage of one's past, which is painful, very painful. All of the above is very painful. Yeah. But the only way past is through it. The only way through healing is to actually go through it and address everything, all the reasons and issues that were involved in the numbing and resolve them or just come to some kind of peace with them. That was the other 
takeaway is um, with both grief and addiction, grief, you have, there's different stages of grief, which I won't necessarily go into, but the last one is acceptance. Mm -hmm. And once you get to acceptance is when you can let yourself grieve and go through your understanding and get professional help. And with uh, addiction, all the things that I did, ultimately, it was the acceptance, which was the freedom. I have to accept, okay, what am I going to do about it today? Yes, this happened. So what am I going to do about it today? Mm -hmm. So I like that. It's, it's the acceptance, which is probably the most powerful message that I got from it. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, sometimes people are very hard on themselves when they lose someone. When I lost my friend and it's been 10 years this December and I'm still not over it, but I've moved through it and processed it a lot, but there's no time frame. It's very personal, how you move through grief, how long it takes you. And, but I always say, just, you know, take one small step, you know, just take, try to take a step forward, do something for yourself, do something kind for yourself because you're hurting and you will go through it, but it just, it does take time. And you're right. It is personal. Very personal. Yeah. Um, where can people find out more about you? Oh, well, I have a website. Uh, it's called rosemarykeevil.com. <laughs> K-E-E-V-I-L. And uh, then you, there's a lot of information about me on the website. That's fantastic. I had looked at your bio. You certainly have a, such an interesting background in media and radio. And um, how long were you in radio? Oh, uh, for about five or six years. I, I love radio. It's really fun, it is. especially since I was in TV and TV, you have so many more mechanics to worry about. Yes. But with radio, there's a bit of mystery there and it's kind of fun. Exactly. Um, I really like live radio. I do too. I love this. I mean, it's been tough with quarantine. However, I've connected with more people like this, and it's been very meaningful. And normally I do the show live at the station on Mondays, but with doing pre-record, all of a sudden I said to myself in March, wait, I could have an opportunity to connect with people face to face. And if they want to be on camera, great. If they don't, that's fine. But this has been incredibly meaningful to connect with people like you. Well, I agree. I used to always do, I mean, I often did my interviews because I was writing them on my blog mm -hmm. on the telephone. But can that idea now, I mean, I'd love the Zoom interview and the audio recording is much easier than trying to do it on the phone. So yes. it's opened up a whole new world. Yes. For people that are watching this that are going through something right now, what advice would you give them? Oh, well, as I said, I think it's um, number one is the acceptance. Uh, allow oneself to, uh, to, to grieve and to, with addiction, accept the things that have happened. Um, accept that there will be guilt and shame. But if you work through that, um, that too softens with time, as does the pain of the grief will soften with time. Um, it'll never go away. Right. Uh, but the, that's why the acceptance is really, really important. And I feel that talking to people is so helpful. Not necessarily, it doesn't have to be your family and friends. It could be a therapist, a grief group, someone. Well, I firmly believe in, in professional therapy. Yeah, I think I it's really, really helpful. Do. Yeah. 
Because we're we've never fa- been faced with something like with what we're going through, and there are people that haven't seen their loved ones, who've lost loved ones, family, friends, all different ages. So, I definitely agree with you. Going to talk to somebody. So, Rosemary, I really enjoyed this. I want to thank you so much for connecting. Is there anything else you want to add? No, that's great. It's lovely to be here, and um, great to have the opportunity to tell my story and maybe help some people. And like I said, I have a copy of your book. I have all the info on my show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And I'll be sharing this conversation in video and audio. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you.